Hi there, and welcome to another Richard Herring podcast. This one is about my latest project, The Twelve Shows of Richard Herring. What I'm doing here is during August and September, from August the 7th right through to September the 12th, I will be performing 12 one-man shows. My The 11 that I've done this century, which are Christ on a Bike, Talking Cock, um, let's see if I can remember them all. That's a, it's a start to see if I can remember all of them. Twelve Tasks of Hercules Terrace, Someone Likes Yogurt, Menage Un, Oh Fuck I'm 40, The Headmaster's Son, Hitler Moustache, What Is Love Anyway, We're All Gonna Die, Lord of the Dance Seti, and then at the end I'll be doing my new show, Happy Now. Um, it's a big challenge. I don't know really what I was thinking when I took this on. Um, I made the decision not to go to the Edinburgh Fringe this year. Um, I've been up most years since 1992. I went up in 1987, 1988, uh, and then I've been every year from 1992, apart from 2000 and 2003. So this, I've done 11 straight years, 11 different stand-up shows. Um, and I still think the Edinburgh Fringe is an amazing place for new comedians especially. Um, and it's a, and in a way, the fact that it's getting so big and unwieldy is a good thing because it means people have to go up there to learn how to be comedians, to learn how to write shows, meet each other, form collaborations, see other shows. I mean, it's still a wonderful place to go. Uh, but it feels, as a comedian who's been going for a long time, last year I felt very squeezed in the, in the middle. My, my stand-up show actually did okay. In the last few years, I've actually been making a bit of money. Uh, up at the fringe, not very much, but certainly enough to make it worthwhile going. I did a play called uh, I Killed Rasputin, which had a massive cast and lost a huge amount of money. And I'd been banking on the stand-up show, making a bit of money to pay off what I anticipated would be a loss, but not quite as big a loss as it actually turned out to be. Um, and, you know, I've sort of realised people are choosing either to go to the free fringe to see new acts, which is great, as they should be, because they can take a chance on someone new, they're not spending any money, and they can give money if they like it at the end. Or if they've got money to spend, they go and see one of the big guys off the TV or one of the award winners. And so it makes it very hard for a lot of the comedians who are in the middle who maybe want to try and put together a more professional show and, and charge people to come and see it. Uh, there's a lot of there's a log jam of comedians in the middle of there, which I think I'm probably at the higher end of that log jam. And, I, and as I say, I've had a, a good few years at the at the fringe, which uh, will at least offset uh, the bad year I had last year. But I sort of realised why am I coming to Edinburgh to do this when I could do this in London? Also, I sort of slightly resented the fact I was I was paying three thousand pounds to stay for a month in a fairly grotty studenty flat, quite central. Not massive, not especially as luxurious as you would think it would be for that price. There was no toilet brush, for example, I had to buy that. The chopping boards in the kitchen had big orange stains in the middle of them, so I bought the guy some... I bought him a toilet brush and, and some new chopping boards as well as paying him £3,000 to stay in his flat for a month. And I can understand why people in Edinburgh are doing that, but also it just feels that everywhere, everyone's just trying to take a, a little bit too much from... The performers and uh, the performers are generally speaking all losing quite a lot of money up there so I just thought it'd be interesting to stay at home I've got a young daughter and um, the idea of kind of decamping up to Edinburgh with the whole family seemed a little bit strenuous and difficult uh, and I just thought well maybe I can premiere my new show in London and then I can tour it then and then I can take it to Edinburgh on the tour people in Scotland will still have a chance to see me but um, you know, it was, I can pay myself £3,000 for the month to live in my house and that will more than pay for my mortgage so you know I'm, it's a win-win situation I'm up there I've 
I've, I'm just paying that money directly to myself and therefore making loads of money. That's the idea. And I've got a toilet brush. I've got about three toilet brushes. I've got, I've got different toilets. And so, you know, I, I've, that's a good thing. And I like the chopping boards. I know where everything's been. And I know that none of the kitchen utensils have been put up my bum. Or I, knew, I know which ones have been put up my bum. So I don't cook with those. Uh, but anyway, uh, so it just seemed like an idea to do my show in London this year. And then I think, I think honestly, I think part of the impetus for this was thinking, oh, I've got loads of programmes, the scope programmes I do for all of these shows. So if I did them all again, that would get rid of another box at least, or maybe two boxes of each of those programmes. That was a stupid uh, reason for doing this. Uh, but at least, hopefully, the, the show will make some money for scope. And, and whatever happens, I won't really lose any money. I'd have to sell no tickets for this show to lose money. Um, there's very few expenses about putting on in, in London. And uh, so even if I can get 100 people coming to see me every night, which seems likely, um, that that's all it will be. Uh, maybe not that many in some cases. Uh, it seemed like a, a, a good way of doing it. And I think it will be kind of fun. I've started trying to relearn the shows. Some of them are coming back quite easily. Some of them are so terrifyingly far away from my mind that I haven't really even looked at those. But... It's going to be interesting, I think, to go back through this progression uh, and um, and see how I've developed as a writer, as a comedian, and in my life as well. So I think it will, the reason I wanted to start documenting it in this podcast, I think... I actually bumped into Jimmy Carr at a party who'd heard what I was doing. He said, oh, you've got to film this and make a documentary out of this. Uh, but if I did that, that would have cost me huge amounts of money. And again, I would find I'd lost lots of money. And I'm not sure that enough people are interested in me as a comedian uh, to make that a worthwhile thing to do. I might be wrong, and maybe the fact that not many people know who I am makes that a more interesting documentary, but I feel like I can do it via podcasting, uh, do it myself, and uh, still have a record of what we did. So in this podcast, uh, I'll talk a bit about what I remember about the shows uh, from the first time I did them, and some of them I've done twice, uh, and I will maybe have a little pre-show chat with myself trying to work out how I feel whether I think it's going to be up to speed and a post-show uh, post-mortem of how things have gone and maybe some clips from the show if anything funny happens or just, just to give you an example of of what I was doing I don't know, we'll, we'll try and audio record all these shows maybe, which again is a cheaper option than getting lots of cameramen in all the shows are available on DVD from their first showings, so it seems foolish to film them all again uh, because you can see that, but maybe either maybe I'll put these shows out as part of this podcast, or maybe just charge a nominal fee for you to download them um, to make that worthwhile. If you're interested in hearing how the shows went, because obviously they will be different than the original ones. I'm not planning on necessarily sticking 100% to the scripts. Uh, I'm going to try and keep stuff in, even the bits that make me feel uncomfortable. There's bits certainly as I go through that I think, oh, I wouldn't do that joke anymore. But I think I can probably do a sort of analysis of that on stage as I discuss jokes that no longer seem fashionable, jokes that I just no longer suit me as a person. And I think quite it's quite interesting. I'll, let's do it. I'll just briefly tell you what the shows are and a little bit about them now. And I think each episode will either, I'll either take two shows and do a podcast about them both or do a show at a time, but we'll see. Um, so my, the first solo show I did was Christ on a Bike, which was a personal show, but it was about when I was turning 33. I'm now 48, so that gives you an idea of uh, how many years this, this encompasses. And it's, it's an interesting period of time. So in 2001, when I did Christ on a Bike, I'd you know, I'd been on TV just two years before. I had a bit of a following from that still. I'd been writing 
with Al Murray with Time Gentlemen Please uh, and made some money for the first time in my life. So it's I was still in a position, professionally speaking, where I was in quite a, a secure uh, frame of mind and uh, and sort of probably felt you know everything was going to tick along nicely and that I'd do some stand-up shows and see where they went. I think there was a sort of feeling that a, a solo show might lead on to something else, a book or a TV show or even just a tour. I think with Christ on the Bike, it very nearly got uh, an American showing uh, a big producer from America came to see it and was very excited uh, and then 9-11 happened because it was 2001 or 11-9 as I prefer to call it and uh, then suddenly the people in New York weren't so interested in putting on a show about religion for some reason I don't know what don't know what that was about uh, but so I suppose there's that kind of cockiness of uh, within the script but it's not it, though it's personal it's about my personal relationship with Jesus and uh, as an atheist and why I'm obsessed with him and it was an important show, I suppose, in that it was the first completely solo stand-up show I did. So I remember, as I'll probably talk about in the podcast we come to, I remember being very scared about performing on my own. I had a radio mic also attached to my lapel, which was the one that actually worked, but I had a handheld mic also, which I just held on to for dear life as if I'd fall off the stage uh, if I didn't have that as a just as a lit as a literal prop. Um, and I remember the the uh, previews of that show were were you know, quite abysmal, as often previews are, and I wondered if I'd made a huge mistake. Uh, but in Edinburgh itself, that show really came together and gave me the confidence, I suppose, to do one-man shows. Not that I saw myself as a stand-up just yet. The next show was 2002, was Talking Cock, and um, which, again, not a very personal show, a show that was half an eye on trying to do something that might sell more tickets. I'd done Christ on a Bike in London and hardly anyone had come, 30 or 40 people a night to come to see it. Uh, and I was on with the Vagina Monologues and that was selling out. And I thought it was, you know, it was a, a worthy show, but not that, not as funny as the show I was doing, let's say, I felt. So I, 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 I'd sort of made a decision to, I'd always, I'd always kind of tried to not do massively commercial things it felt like you know doing a male version of the vagina monologue seemed such an obvious step that um i was i'd reject people kept on saying why don't you do a male version of this as i was sitting in the bar with them after my failed shows why don't you do a male version of the vagina monologues and it felt like an obvious idea but then i realized there was a way of doing it that would be surprising and that it wouldn't necessarily be a bad idea to do a show that was uh, commercial and that show did turn out to be Successful for me in terms of it getting sold around the world and and did lead to a book, nearly led to a TV series, but it but it didn't. But I suppose again, this the both of these times I was still working on um, with Al Murray and uh, things like that were going pretty well. And I did talking up for a couple of years. Then I, in two thousand and four, I did the twelve tasks of Hercules Terrace, which it was my least successful Edinburgh show. I think that was the first show that ever got a five star review. Weirdly, uh, it didn't really work within the hour uh, format for me, and, and I was writing it right up to the last minute, and I was cramming in a lot of ideas on tour. I think it became more of a more of a whole piece and, and, and a show that I was pleased with. But I still think it's my least favourite of all the all the shows I've done. But it was an important show in that. It, I did lots of challenges for that show and and became a lot more confident in myself and I, and I sort of started wondering why am I not doing stand-up comedy that's something I've shied away for which again maybe I'll talk about that a bit more on the on the actual podcasts uh, as we go through the shows um, uh, but uh, then 2005 with someone like Jogger I'd gone back to clubs and done stand-up and this is a uh, it's a kind of an amazing show it's an exercise in tedium uh, it's, it's really 
I'm like a dog with a bone. I say in the program, I'm like a dog with a sponge, trying to squeeze every drop of life out of it and every every drop of water out of it, which is impossible. Every routine, I just keep on pummeling and pummeling it, uh, and listening back to it, it's kind of some of it's quite hard to listen to because it just goes on and on. But it's a, and a, you know, I think just because I decided I want to just do whatever I think's funny at the time, some of the stuff I don't. Again, I don't think I would be as, as happy doing it now, and some of it. Um, you know, I think I might discuss that within the show, but uh, certainly the, the the shows that are coming up after this one, there's stuff in them that I think oh, would I certainly wouldn't do that as a 48 year old man. But some of it does work because I'm a, a younger man. Uh, but I suppose these they, they were getting more personal. The Hercules show was about me breaking up with the girlfriend that, uh, that I'd been with for a few um, months, and um, someone like Shogger, I think again is was slightly coming to terms with the way my life was changing, but. Uh, and trying to work out who I was as a performer. Then there's Menagerie, um, which again, a more traditional stand-up show, and a lot of the stuff in there is stuff that I did as stand-up for a long time afterwards, if I was doing a 20-minute set. And there's, it, it is about ownness and loneliness and onanism, but it's it's unthemed, really. It's, it's just stand-up, really, but there's some, there's some very good stand-up routines in there, I think, uh, and uh, I'm really looking forward to doing that one again. But again, some stuff in there... Where I really push things in an edgy way, and I think that in that mid-noughties period, a lot of stand-ups were doing material about rape and paedophilia, and a lot of it was very bad. And I kind of thought I was doing stuff about those subjects that was more interesting, and maybe it was, but uh, some of it does. You know, now in 2015, especially with the way uh, tastes have changed and the way uh, feminism has arisen, and I know not that I'm saying these weren't feminist shows. I've always been a feminist, but I think I was happy to play around with those sort of sexual stereotypes and and the offensiveness in comedy in a way that I probably wouldn't be comfortable doing now, and I might not be comfortable doing some of the material again. And I wouldn't like uh, some of the jokes to be taken out of context on Twitter, is what I was thinking. Which I, I think if you see the whole show, you do get uh, an idea of both this and No Fucking 40, the next one, of the kind of sadness within the the character of Richard Herring at the time, the kind of anger within him, the frustration within him. And I think if you see the whole piece, I think that that makes sense. Uh, but No Fucking 40, 2007, turning 40, really trying to come to terms with the fact that I was unmarried, had no kids, was living quite a dissolute, debauched and drunken lifestyle, which you can read about in my book, How Not to Grow Up, if you if you want to. Uh, but uh, And, you know, just suddenly realising... That I was hitting middle age and still acting like a childish idiot, uh, which I suppose then then the subsequent shows it, it kind of feels weird that that's only six shows up to that point because that feels such a massive section of my life. But then the the subsequent shows, not always obliquely, but uh, not always uh, directly, rather are about uh, are, you know about me moving towards personal happiness and, and getting a bit more settled in my life. So the headmaster's son was looking back at. Um, my school days when my dad was my headmaster uh, again I think it's a lot gentler show and a lot uh, it's a show that uh, you could almost take your grand to except for the bits in it where I talk about wanking off paedophiles with my tiny hands so I had to spoil that as well but it's, it's a show sort of about my relationship with my dad but really just about the teenager versus the 41 year old me I suppose I would have been at that point uh, then hit the moustache will be coming up which again I'm sort of terrified about doing this one because it's just so dense and I you know with, with Hercules and Hitler Mustache it's a story and I never really did any of this stuff or just very minimal amounts of 
Hitler Mustache as stand-up. So some of it's coming back to me very easily when I'm when I'm doing previews and, and just trying out material. But Hitler Mustache is such a complex story with full of complex ideas that I think that's going to be a very hard one to learn. Obviously, I'm going to have to go back and have the moustache, but there's an easy way around that, which is to grow a beard, shave down, and then shave it off again. So uh, aside from wanting to get my photo taken with the Charlie Chaplin statue outside the Leicester Square Theatre, I, uh, I don't think I will be going around outside with that moustache. Um, then uh, 2010, was I, I did Christ on the Bike again, uh, which was partly just, I, I really did, Christ and Mike and Talking Cock just because they weren't on DVD and I felt like a lot of new people I'd started getting some people coming to see me in my stand-up shows a lot of those early ones I was touring to 30 or 40 people and by 2010-2011 usually I'd get around 150, 200, 300 sometimes more which is the sort of level I've stayed at since then so if you're one of those people who's come to one of my recent shows and you can get to London and you want to see one of the early ones not on DVD but see it live with this extra little sort of director's commentary thing going on I suppose as we do it then uh, do come along to the Leicester Square Theatre to, to see these uh, but 2011 What Is Love Anyway which was again looking at love partly because I sort of realised love and religion had a sort of similar leap of faith in them and that we would mock people for believing in God or I do but would we mock someone for saying they were in love and I was in love and I still am in love with my my wonderful wife who I married uh, during the tour of What Is Love Anyway, not on stage. Um, and that's got my, my some of my favourite stuff in it. Weirdly, the shows that are selling the worst so far, which are probably um, The Headmaster's Son, What Is Love Anyway, and We're All Going to Die, are my three favourite shows of all the shows I did. So I don't know why... Uh, the public can't as interested in seeing those ones, but uh, that's got my the routine about my grandma being covered in glitter and which I, I, I really enjoyed doing because it's a serious story and then it's, it makes people laugh, then it makes people sometimes cry and then it makes people laugh again straight away and it's an amazing little power to take to, to, to perform something that, that has that that has that has resonance, I suppose. Um, and it's an interesting subject to look at, so I'm, I am looking forward to doing that one. Uh, we're all going to die. I'm, I'm hoping that these more recent shows will be easier to remember. But I think we're all going to die might be quite hard. There's some quite complicated stuff in that. Um, I've been I've basically gone and done the first halves of Christ of the Bike and Talking Cock in clubs and they mainly come back to me pretty effectively. I've been listening to the the DVDs every now and again and car journeys and stuff, so it's sort of seeping in. But we're all going to die looking at death in a positive way. Um, I don't think I have all the gravestones and the fog machine. I'm going to try and strip most of these shows down to bare essentials. So uh, I'm, I'm going to have the slides, I think, in Christ on a Bike on Talking Cock, but not in Hercules Terrace, which I don't think needs them. And uh, and I'm, I'm going to strip right back and not do anything too fancy in terms of uh, staging, just so that it's the material that does the business. Uh, Lord of the Arsetti was uh, my last tour. It'll be interesting to give that one last run out. I mean, God, I hope I remember that in... Uh, it only been a couple of months since I last did it. And uh, then the new show is Happy Now, which I suppose the terrifying thing about this whole thing for me, and that I think the, the thing I didn't possibly anticipate quite so much, is obviously I'm going to have to spend a good deal of my weeks learning the old shows, but also I am trying to write a new one for the end. And um, uh, it, I guess with Edinburgh, usually you have that definite deadline, and you do. I usually do a lot of previews. And... Uh, this time I've been busy on my tour and then I'm busy with my daughter and I didn't put in many previews. I've luckily managed to get a lot more in August. 
So I'm hoping that that'll be all right. But at the, as I record this on the, the the end of July, sort of seven weeks away from the from the performance, um, I've probably got about ten to fifteen minutes of material that will make it into that show. I'm not sure if I'm going to try and do an hour and then maybe do a second half in which I have maybe have a question and answer session or maybe I'm interviewed by someone about the twelve shows. Which if I do that, I will certainly put that up somewhere online. Uh, for some some of you, if not for all of you, um, so it's it's going to be a very interesting thing to go through. And happy now is, of course, I mean, it's going to be at least partly about uh, now having a family, uh, which does make me very happy. And my daughter's amazing, but all, all the unhappiness that happiness leads to, and whether it's possible to happy, and whether we can pursue happiness, or whether we have to wait for happiness to envelop us, and if happiness is even a desirable thing or a thing that we're meant to have, I suppose. So it's going to be an interesting experience for me and hopefully for some of you. Uh, if you come, if you go to my website, richtaining.com, you can click on uh, the 12 shows icons and you'll get to see how you can buy tickets. But if you go to leicestersquaretheatre.com, you can buy tickets either just one show uh, or if you buy to three or more shows, you get a discount. If you buy to six or more shows, you get another discount. If you get all 12 shows, you save £80. And you get a hand, one of my trademark hand-drawn terrible T-shirts, because I can't draw, of one of the posters. Uh, you could save yourself £180 by not coming to see any of the shows. Uh, but, yeah, if you want to come and see them all, it's uh, just it's 100 quid to see all 12 of them. I'm not anticipating that many people doing that, but I think at least 30 foolhardy people are doing that. It'll be obviously a part of this podcast is part of to promote it, let you know it's happening. If you can let your friends know this is happening... Uh, it will be terrific, terrific. People just came to one or two of the shows, um, but obviously it'd be even more terrific if everyone came to all of them. But it's it's more about, I suppose, the for me the the journey that I've taken over these fifteen years uh, and how I've improved as a person. I hope and how I've improved as a comedian and maybe how I've got worse as a comedian. And it's been interesting to find lots of great stuff that I've really been enjoying performing that I haven't done for a long time and finding routines so um, I'm thinking maybe in 2016 2017 touring a best of show uh, because I think there's 90 minutes of really excellent comedy in there and maybe it, it you know I don't know it's it's a weird position my career as I discuss a lot but um, you know obviously I've continued to be here and I've continued to produce stuff and I've continued to make a living at, at this job which again I think may be happy now might be partly about this uh, and that is uh, sorry for thinking you've got an email there it was actually me uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, you know but I haven't like I, I'm not sort of acknowledged I think because I think within the business people will say oh he's a prolific and quite good comedian but I've certainly never um, had awards for my stand up or any real I think you know, I think most people as, as this run will show yeah, is uh, I'm not a household name the people who like me like me, and that's great. But it feels like there's some... To me, it feels like there's some good stuff in here. It feels like I'm a better comedian than maybe people realise, uh, or the general populace realise. And uh, so, you know, it would be fun to do, I guess, a 90-minute best-of show. Maybe that's what I should have done. Uh, that should have been all I did this summer. Because um, I think you'd it'd be difficult to say that that's not... A, my best 90 minutes is probably pretty good. Uh, and maybe that will be a way of getting new people into my work. I don't know. Maybe I don't want new people into my work. 
I'd like you all to carry on liking my work uh, and you know, most of you seem to like to keep me a secret which you know I appreciate that I appreciate why you're doing that and I kind of appreciate you doing it but if you could all just tell one other person about this and maybe persuade them to come and see one of these shows if they live in or around London or are prepared to travel down for a weekend uh, or up if you're coming from Australia or down if you think the world's the other way up I mean there's no way of knowing which way the world is up isn't it? we've just decided it's this way up and that's all there is to it so this is just an introductory one it's gone on way too long um, I hope you have got something out of listening to this but hopefully the other podcasts will have a bit more action in them and a bit more um, actual stand up and things like that so I, I, again I've I guess I found it very difficult to put the Lord of the Dance Seti podcast together. It was, took a lot of time, and so we'll see how this goes and how quickly I can get these up. Uh, even if they come up after the 12 shows are over, I think it'll be an interesting document to to see how the thing went for me. It could be a disaster. I think it's at least going to be interesting. I know some of it's definitely funny, and uh, I definitely know bits, enough bits, I think, to do a good shows of all of these shows now, and maybe they'll be wonderful performances my friend Ben Moore told me about a story which I think you can find in film of this of a concert pianist who sat down in front of an orchestra uh, and then the orchestra started playing and she realised the orchestra were playing a different piece than the one she had prepared for the concert uh, but she had played the piece she was listening to once 20 years before and the conductor was going she was looking white ashen faced the conductor's going it's alright you can do it you can do it you can do it and she just launched into it and she played it a whole concerto or whatever perfectly I don't think I'm capable of doing that with these shows, but it'll be, it's interesting even now how once I get into the flow of something like Christ on a Bike or Talking Cock, how other bits suddenly fly into my mind that I remember and how a lot of it is just somehow there in an ant trail. Uh, Abraham, we get Isaac, Isaac, we get Jacob, Jacob, we get Judas, his bread and Jews, we get Faraz and Zara, Tamer. And like within that, I can do all of that, I can do it backwards and I can do the Abbey, Ibjar, Jibjar, Baj, Pazzle, Tapir, Barbara, I can do all that bit as well. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure that on my deathbed, uh, and in the home I am when I'm 90 years old, as if I'll get that old. That I'll be reciting that and people will just think I've gone crazy, but it will be the last thing I remember, just as my grandma Doris could remember just the vestiges of her life at the end there. It's a horrific thing. So, anyway, yeah, I'm hoping we uh, these will be fun. Uh, I'm hoping I'll get back and do some more snooker podcasts and yeah sorry the warming up podcasts aren't happening at the moment um, do spread the word go to lessquettheatre.com if you want to buy some tickets tell your friends about this or just sit back and enjoy my slightly bumpy ride I think over the next six weeks as we put together uh, these shows that it turns out not no one really wants to see <laughs> Uh, hope you enjoy it thanks for listening I'm Richard Herring uh, go to lessquaretheatre.com or richardherring.com for more details about all of this stuff if you want to see the shows and you can't come down to see them if you go to gofasterstripe.com you can buy DVDs of nearly all of them I think Hit the Moustache and Christ on the Bike because they were done distributed by a different company uh, we don't actually own the rights to those and I think Go Faster Stripe has sold out of those but you might be able to get those on Amazon you can certainly watch them on iTunes. Uh, you could, I think, until recently watch them on Netflix, but I think they've gone from Netflix now. So, you know, if you if you feel like keeping up with the shows and watching them and then listening to what how I felt they've gone, that might be a fun way of doing this, uh, which, again, might help me uh, 
raise some money to look after my tiny child. Uh, I, I'm not anticipating many of you doing that, but to gofasterstrike.com you can buy nearly all of these DVDs and we'll see. We might put out a compilation audio of some kind of all of them for you to listen to at some point, maybe for a small amount of money. Thanks for listening. See you next time on the 12 Shows of Herring podcast. It's the 12 Shows of Herring podcast. Yes, it uh, it now has gone past, but it will be back very soon. Just uh, within the turn of the moon. Thanks there to uh, the, the band they put together that song. That is the theme tune. That's the end theme tune. They forgot to do the... Uh, sorry, I'm maintaining an email again. Apologies for that. Bye!